Hey guys, welcome to our Sermon of the Week podcast. Today's message is from Nathan Herndon. If you're interested in partnering with us, check out our app, our website, for ways to give. I've got a word on my heart. It's a really simple word. Um, I don't think it's going to be revelatory as far as, um, you know, for for most of us. Um, I do think it it could be um, a, a timely word, though, that many of us need to hear in a moment. And it could be one of those things that I knew it in such a way that I would pass it on a test, but actually walking in it and kind of picking it up and embracing uh, this word is a, is a whole new thing. I want to, uh, I'm continuing the series today uh, called Ecclesia. We've been, for weeks, we've been kind of in and out this series, and the, the uh, word Ecclesia means a gathering of the called out ones. It's the, it's the word that Jesus used to describe the church that he saw in his heart. And so a few weeks ago, I started this series, and we said um, that uh, the, well, uh, we, we recently said that, that the church was created to operate in the context of together, in the context of life on life. Remember when we said that a few weeks ago? I think it's hard, like after a week, like last week, it was really wild and crazy, um, and, uh, and a lot of good things happening, uh, and it's easy to kind of forget some of, uh, some of this stuff, so I'm just kind of drawing our attention back. But the church was created to be life on life. In other words, you don't watch church from a distance. It's a, a church is a proximity thing. It's a gathering of called out ones. Um, if you have Thanksgiving meal um, and you're eating the same meal, but you take your meal and you go in to watch the game while everyone else is gathered around the table, um, y- you're not operating in family from the living room when everybody's in the dining room. Hello, right? And so the church is called to be a community that's gathered together, actually doing life together, not, not watching the show from the distance. And the American church loves putting on shows and loves putting on productions that you can watch from a distance. And, and, I, and I'm not knocking online church. I love online church, not as a replacement, but a supplement to church life. Sometimes you just can't make it to the gathering, and when you can't make it, you watch online. And so that's why we do it, and that's why we uh, put so much stuff into that, but uh, it is not a replacement. We're not giving you options saying, hey, if you like watching from your, from your undies in your living room better, um, then, then you can do that. We've got lots of options here. That is not what we're calling you to, you know? If you, if, if you must do church in your undies, do it here, all right? <laughs> we're, we're, we're calling it. We'd rather have you here in your undies than there in your undies, all right? But, but the, the reason we're saying this is because because church is not a program you watch. It is a people. It is a gathering. You, you must do it together, all right? So it is very important, and we said that, and we looked at Acts chapter 2, 42 through, through 47, and it's just, it's just sheer biblical beauty when you open up that passage and look at how the early church actually did life together, not dreamed, not talked, not, uh, you know, not developed, not strategized, but actually walked out life together. Um, we, uh, we made a book called Life Together available to you by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, he's with Jesus now, but a, a Lutheran pastor, mighty man, martyred for his faith in a Nazi concentration camp. He wrote a book called Life Together, and it's just good biblical old, uh, old wisdom um, that we, we want to make available to you. But we started out this series in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. That's where Jesus first uses the word ecclesia, and, and we, we said this, that ecclesia is, is not just 
uh, not just people doing life together, but ecclesia is actually a people, not a building. So you call so many people, say, hey, when did you build your church? And I was like, well, you know, I didn't build anything. If what you mean is when did we put the structure up on the hill, you know, that was, you know, you know about a year and a half, two years ago. But, but the the people of Providence have been doing life together for, for years now, all right? So Jesus called people to togetherness, not people into structures, okay? Uh, and in fact, when Jesus was rolling out ecclesia, buildings were not really, you know, he wasn't calling people out of buildings. They, they, they barely even existed, all right? He was calling us out of darkness into life and into newness of life through the gospel. And then, then we, we saw this, that Jesus, uh, Jesus says these four things. Number one, that the, the church is built on him, or, or in other words, the church is built on Jesus. The church is not built on uh, charismatic leaders. The church is not built on, on anything other than Jesus. And if it is, it will crumble and fall, okay? So the church is built on Jesus. Jesus is building the church. So the, it's not like Jesus had a dream and then he asks us to do all the heavy lifting. He is building the church and we get to partner with him. He promises, I will build my church in Matthew chapter 16. And so isn't that a precious promise, my friends? Right? And then I, I love this one that Jesus owns the church. He said, I will build my church. And man, and that is awesome. The, the church does not belong to anybody other than him. And here's why the purchase price was the blood of the Lamb, the purchase price was the blood of Jesus. So it belongs to him. And, I, and as I was up this morning praying through this message, I really felt that I needed to share this that you, listen, if you call yourself a Christian, if you're here today within the sound of my voice, if you're watching online, you were not born into the church. You were adopted into the church. Okay? I still, I still hear this. And this is, I, I, I want to be very clear. Just because your parents were pastors or just because your parents were Christians or just because your parents taught a Sunday school class or just because your parents were missionaries doesn't mean that you were born into the church and you were born a Christian. All right? Your parents can't transfer their faith to you. Um, that through, through DNA, that's not how it works. You have to decide that Jesus is your treasure and you are a sinner and that you, you see Jesus as of greater value than a life of sin and through faith you receive his righteousness. Justified, redeemed by his blood, all right? So all this, you weren't, bo you weren't born a Christian, uh, you weren't born into the church, you were adopted into the church, all right? Isn't that beautiful? All of us here adopted into a family. Man, that is kingdom right there, all right? All by faith. First uh, Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, you are not your own, you were bought with a price, and that was the purchase price. That's how you entered. You, you were an orphan, and now you belong as a son or daughter. And then we said this, that nothing will prevail against the church. All of this should, should be repetitious to you, Correct? All right, all repetitious here. So nothing will prevail against the church. Uh, verse 18 of, uh, of Matthew chapter 16 says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And then we tag this on every single time. If the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, it means that the gates of hell will try to prevail. And then Jesus' promises uh, is us uh, emphatically that they will not prevail, prevail. We are already victorious in Christ, okay? So all of that should be some recap. Okay, there. But today I want to talk about um, 
this prevailing against the church and specifically how the church is attacked, or in other words, how I believe that the enemy is strategically trying to take down the church, okay? I didn't want to talk about this, but I feel like I have to talk about this. I wanted to talk about leadership in the church, and I wanted to talk about spiritual gifts in the church, and I'm, I'm going to get there, but I need to release a word uh, because uh, uh, this is the timely part, um, that we need to talk about how the church is, is attacked strategically from the enemy. Now, many of us, when we think about the church being attacked, we think about the government taking away our rights and persecution breaking out on the church, all right? Don't you know, listen to this, if you know anything about church history, when the governments try to take over and when persecution breaks out on the church, that's when the church is actually at its best, okay? All right, there's so much energy, guys, so much energy into defending our rights and keeping persecution at a distance when the church is actually at its best in those nasty conditions, all right? I don't want them, but what I do want to be is I want to be a church alive like the church in China, all right? What I do, do you know where the church is growing the most? Is the Middle East, like Iran, guys. Do you know this? And here in, in free countries like you know, America and Europe and Australia and stuff, if you look at what's happening in the church, is the church is falling off a cliff when it comes to its influence and when, when uh, it comes to its uh, influence with people and its fire and its bones, okay? Like absolutely doing the opposite of what the church was actually called to do. Now, I don't say that to shame us. I say that to, to motivate us. Guys, we, there is more for us. And do you know what would be wonderful is with under the banner of freedom, we were on fire. Wouldn't that be great? Come on, right? But, uh, but uh, have you guys heard of an early church father named Tertullian, born in 160 A.D., all right? Um, and he actually fought and wrestled for the doctrine of the Trinity to be established in the church when a lot of heresy was breaking out against that modalism and all these things. And Tertullian said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, all right? And so we have a, we have a lot to learn when it comes to, to church health and how the church actually grows. Don't you know that in Acts chapter two, the church was just prospering and everything was going great, and I want us to be that. That is my goal. I'm not, I'm not welcoming persecution onto us. I don't want it, all right? But it's probably coming. And so, but Acts chapter two, the church is prospering. Acts chapter eight, Saul, who will eventually be Paul, starts persecuting the church, and then the church that was prospering here was just because of persecution sent out as missionaries into the world, and the church advanced as a result, okay? All right? But I am actually not talking about that type of persecution. That is not the attack that is on the church in America today, all right? If it was, I think we'd be healthier. But the type of attack that I believe that the American church is most susceptible to, and in other words, where I believe the American church is the weakest, is, is here. Here's what, how the enemy is starting. If he can't get us from the outside, he goes for the inside. Okay? It is, it almost makes me sick to every single week hear about another church split, another this or that, another squabble, another complaint, another loss of proximity, another tossing of, you know, bad words, you know, slander, all under the, all under the guise of righteousness, but it is just sin. And that is how the church is 
infecting itself in America, all right? Um, it, it, it's like this. Do, do, do you know that the church, if the church is a family, it is a people, remember? I'm going to dig into that a little bit more, but it is a family. And imagine that every single time someone did something wrong in your family, you disowned them, right? Oh, the, the, my son down the street, you know, that, that son down the street doesn't do that. I'm going to replay. Like, that, that is, what, that is a toxic environment. And if grace isn't winning the day, family doesn't survive. And the reason that the church is not surviving in the United States is well, we, we have a, a lot of different stuff. But I'm telling you, if I could pick one thing that the church was known for and the church operated in, it would be grace, humility, and forgiveness. All right? Now, let me tell you this, and uh, remember, I, remember I have a dog named Champ. Remember that? I, I'm, I'm turning a hard corner here, all right, but I, I'll, I'll tie it back together. I have a dog named Champ, and I, uh, I actually really like the dog. He's a golden doodle. Um, he, I've talked a lot about him, how I wish he would go uh, be with Jesus and stuff like that, but he's actually one of, the, one of the, the best dogs I've ever had, and I've had a lot of dogs. He's just the most annoying dog I've ever had because he's, you cross a poodle with a golden retriever, and it turns into a, a, a love machine that is just hyper as it gets, all right? And so what happens is, uh, you know, a champ can even, he emotionally, he knows what's going on with my wife's heart. It's really weird. Uh, if I see Champ, like, cuddling up with my wife, actually, that's like, ding, ding, ding. I wonder what's going on with Adrian. And she, Champ kind of alerts me to these things. Now, when we first got Champ, we first got Champ, he was so wild. Like, he's loving, great dog, never messed in the house, goes outside. You know, he, he's a really great dog. But when we first got Champ, when we'd have guests over to our house, he would completely lose his mind and ruin the entire visit, all right? And so what happened is I got some advice from people, and the advice was put a shock collar on that dog, all right? And, uh, and some of you might hate me for this, but I did it. And uh, so I, I order a shock collar and stuff, and I know that I should have been, you know, more, you know, more dog trainery, you know. But uh, I, I wasn't. He was really stressing me out, actually. So I get a shock collar. I remember the day that it came, uh, you know, Amazon, uh, like $1,699. Well, I would have paid $1,600. Uh, but uh, I remember I, I get this shock collar out, and the first thing that I did is I look at the collar and go, oh, wow, like that's where the voltage comes. Cool. And so I think you turn it on here, and I just strapped it straight to champ. I had no clue how this thing even worked. I just turn it on, uh, strap it to him. Then I take the receiver, and I just, I, I stepped outside. I don't know why I stepped outside. It was, it was the providence of God, I guess. Champ is inside. I step outside. Champ has his collar on, and I just start playing around with the receiver, all right? <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is the sounds that it makes. Oh, here's how it gets louder and softer. I can't really hear it. So, oh, it buzzes. Oh, look, here's this. this, this and I'm shocking. I'm shocking, all right? Now, what I didn't know is that Champ was, was, was half dead inside, all right? <laughs> All right, because I was shocking. I'm like, what happens when you just hold it down? I, I'm, I'm talking to people just holding it down. It's like fun. And I'm like, oh, and you can increase the voltage and stuff, and Champ is just like inside, like, ah. And finally somebody comes and tells me, Dad, like, Champ's, Champ's almost dead. I'm like, oh, praise Jesus. You know, I'm a, uh, but, uh, and I realized, I realized that without knowing it and without trying it, I was just making a stupid mistake. I was out shocking my dog, just trying to learn how this works and shocking my dog. Don't you know that family and that church is kind of like that? We're not, listen, none of us here are professionals at church. I've been a pastor, this is my 25th year of being a pastor. 25th year. 
all right? I, I still in my heart feel like a rookie. Every single day I have to wake up and I have to say, God, show me how to do this. I don't know how to do this. The, the logo at Providence is wind. And the reason that it's wind, and I think God prophetically spoke this over us by giving us a windmill up here. But the reason it's, wi it's wind is because it's timeless. There, never, there will never be a day that we wake up in the morning and we don't need the wind or the move of the spirit on the church. So every single day I'm like, God, how do I do this? I'm not relying on my past experience. I'm relying on you today. And so that's how the church is. We're not professionals at it, but sometimes we're in our just trying to figure it out. We hurt one another, all right? And so if we don't insert grace to that, we will not survive. And usually the church doesn't. I had a dog named Toby. Toby, uh, he was a Shetland sheepdog, a miniature collie. He loved me with all of his heart. He could tell time. He waited for me to get off the bus. He slept in my bed when I did something wrong. And my parents came to spank me. I came from a spanking family. All right, it worked. Look at me. You know, so uh, the, uh, but uh, Toby would not let my parents spank me. I just sit next to Toby, I just pet him, he just ground, and they just kind of leave. They, they give me a talking to, but they stop spanking. That's when I started not following Jesus, interestingly. Is this, uh, Ashley is the grace of God, but Toby was a good dog. Whenever I would ride my bike, he would follow along, and I remember this one day, he was following, and he, he, he would ride and bark at me with a smile on his little face, and this one time, since he wasn't watching where he was going, he got too close to the front of my bike, and I ran over his face, all right? So straight over his face, I knocked him out cold, all right? And so I jump off my bike, because we're best friends, I run back, Toby is laying there lifeless on the ground, bleeding out of his nose. I scoop him up like a lamb, and I go like this, running home to my parents. His head is just bopping and dangling. I was like, I killed him, I killed him. I come, I lay him on the ground, and my mom comes out, and then, then Toby kind of comes to and pops up and starts licking at me and just kind of loving on me, all right? Now, guys, listen. In the church, when you run over somebody's head, they hate you. This dog showed more grace than blood-bought Christ followers. This should not be. This should not be. Guys, like, we have a problem in the church when dogs set the standard of grace, of love, of kindness, of loyalty. We have a massive problem in the church. And I, I want to I talk about this today. I wish that persecution was the problem because Cancer is what kills you from the inside. And this, my friends, dogs are setting the standard on. I'm sick of sickness in the church like this. Eating is from the inside. Now, in the context, uh, we talked about in the context of the church, it's together, it's life on life, it's community. Well, if we were gonna make this a math problem, if you take, if you take the context of, of togetherness, and then you say, well, that togetherness is not from a distance. That, that togetherness is actually together. It's, a, it's people. It's not buildings. So we've got, here's the recipe, imperfect people not watching from a distance but doing it together. That means close proximity. Do you know what, do you know what that's a recipe for? That's a massive recipe for pain and disunity. Imperfect people doing life together where the body has, has the potential to turn on one another, if the supernatural power of grace, forgiveness, kindness, love is not in operation in the church. If, if we operate in a man-made business 
construction of church where it is a where it is something we consume it's a product that we consume and that we watch as soon as something goes wrong and some pain enters the the situation we're gone and the the world is watching a church at war with itself and that is not the kind of culture, that is not God's dream for the church, that is not Jesus' ecclesia, and it's, it's not the government that we should be asking to look in the mirror, it's the church is the hope of the world, not the government, you see. We have, the church has to start being the church, no matter who's in office, all right? So the enemy's strategies take the church down from the inside, and he's doing a fantastic job while we're complaining about stuff out there, kids these days, Gen Z, millennials, while we're complaining about laws and rules and we're concerned about decorations in our house, more than souls, more than people going to hell, more than unity within our body, we're concerned about all of this stuff while the world is going down and that is not the kind of church that changes the world, right? So, let let me ask you a question. How do you think that we will stand against persecution from the outside if and when it comes if we can't stand unified with blood-bought brothers and sisters on the inside? It's just like you you, you make the family sick with disunity, and then you just attack them when they're weak. Man, and when the enemy attacks like that, I want to be strong, man. I want him to be like, wow, I wish we never did that. I want him to go read Matthew 16 and realize, oh yeah, that's right, Jesus said nothing will prevail against the church. I'm so sorry I ever did that. Now, I want to tell you a few things theologically that the, uh, about the church that will help us strengthen our unity in the church. And here's the first thing. If you have your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 12, all right, um, uh, 24b, actually to 27, I'm going to read there, then I'm going to jump to Colossians, then I'm going to jump to 1 Peter, uh, and then uh, actually jump to 1 Peter, and then jump to Colossians. In the back, I didn't email the verses in, so it's 1 Peter 2, 9, and 10, uh, and then it's Colossians 3, 11 to 17. Just want to read those. But first, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting with verse, uh, verse 24, um, and uh, let me read this to us. So I'm going to start on the second half of the verse. It says, But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Okay? Now this is really hard for us to consume. I think we say, yeah, I get that. But, but it has to go through so many filters that we've learned in America. And those filters are, are you're an individual, and your greatest purpose is to basically re- release your own individuality, and everyone else just has to deal with who you actually are. Okay? That's what we're learning. And so we come to a place like this, and we're like, ah, yeah, yeah, you're the body of Christ, you're individually members of it, okay, God has composed, yeah, fine, 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 no, no division in the body. But we don't really take it to heart because our number one priority is to be ourselves. This is, this is not a biblical concept. There, there's, what's biblical is individually you have to have a, a relationship with God individually, but what happens as a consequence of your forgiveness 
is your adoption into a body. There is no exception to this rule. God doesn't save somebody and then just set them off by themselves and say, you get to be, you know, you get to have the special rule where you just get to, get to do life all by yourself. You don't have to deal with anybody else. Have you heard church would be simple if it wasn't for the people? <laughs> right? <laughs> right? True. But that is, it's true, but our main goal is not a simple life. Our main goal is a Jesus life. Come on now. And the kind of life that he wants is he wants, to, he wants to enter us into the body and then supernaturally supply what we need to make it work, and it's just going to be a mess. All right? Do you see this? Now you are, look at verse 27. Now you are the, listen, the, the body of Christ. So theologically speaking, the church is not just a people. The church is a people making up the body. And it's not your body. Your body is the illustration. It's the body of Jesus is the church. Just think on that for a second. Is that crazy? You, do you ever think like, wow, like, you know what? How I act today is going to actually reflect on Jesus. Why is that? Well, because I'm, I'm the body of Christ, my, my, my unity, the grace that I extend, the forgiveness that I extend, but the humility that I walk in, that, that is actually, it's, it's when I walk like Jesus, I bring honor and glory to Jesus, and, and when I don't, it's, it's like a contamination. It's a stench. It makes the church a laughingstock instead of a glorious bride, all right? The, the, the body of Christ is who the church is, theologically speaking. So God composed the, his people into a designed body so that every part would get honor and care and that there will be no division in the body. So there's no superstars and there's no this or that. There's just, it's just the body of Christ. I was, I was thinking back to my youth ministry days at the Paul's uh, at Christ American uh, Baptist Church right across, and there was hundreds of kids in the youth ministry, but I remember it's like when you walked in there, it's like, it's like all the status like fell off, and the kids that are cool in school were actually friends with the, the kids who weren't cool in school. It was like, let's, let's, it's just like, it was just, it just felt like the body. It's just like, we're all important to God here, you know? And, and I love that when, the, when there's, there's no division in the body, there's no people that are saying like, I'm really something and you're really not. That's called judgment and that contaminates. Right, so God's, God's heart is that you would be a, a body and the body would not be at war, at a civil war amongst itself. It would be unified and as a result, healthy. You see? So God's dream, I want to say this too. I'm not saying if you have unforgiveness in your heart or, or a bitterness in your heart and then, then you have a, a physical ailment. I'm not saying that it's your fault that you have this physical ailment. I'm not saying that. Right now, I'm, I'm purely speaking uh, spiritually speaking, we can contaminate the body of Christ. But I want to be clear about that because I said that last week. I heard a testimony of someone who had uh, a back ailment for like a decade. And they, when they released uh, forgiveness and they released their bitterness towards someone who hurt them, their back got healed. I'm not saying that's how it is every single time. I'm not saying that at all. And so I don't want to heap that shame on you. Uh, we have an enemy that's trying to take you down, and I, I, I totally get that. But I, I want to be clear there that when we're talking spiritually speaking, though, is that Jesus' dream for his ecclesia is that it would be a body with no division, or in other words, a unified bride, that his church would be a unified ecclesia that is not divided 
And if the church gets divided, that's not healthy for the body. You got me? Right? So if you lose a finger, that's not healthy. Give me that finger back. Give me that hand back. We, we need one another. That's what I'm saying. Now, if you would turn uh, with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, 9 and 10. I just read this last week, but I want to read one more moment, one more time. 1 Peter chapter 2, 9 and 10 says this. Peter's speaking to the church. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. He's speaking to the church. He's speaking identity over the church, not just to people randomly, but he's, he's speaking to the church, those who have put their faith in Christ and have been adopted into the family of God. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Here's why. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Hey, here is your purpose. Your purpose is worship. And you should have a unified sound, like just a, a harmonizing together. Like Jesus is way better than you know. He's called us out of darkness. He's placed us into light, marvelous light. Then he says this, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Listen, you weren't born God's people, you had to become God's people through faith. You see this? You're not born a Christian. You're not born a people of God. Maybe born into a Christian family, but you have to be born again through faith. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He didn't ask you to work hard for him. That's not what he's looking for. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him, that's faith, would not perish in darkness and their sins but have eternal life. Be transferred into the kingdom of the son he loves, Colossians 1 says. All right? So once you were not a people, you, once you were not a people of God, once you didn't belong, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. There was a time where you didn't have the mercy of God on your life, but through faith, suddenly, mercy for you, right? So when this, when this talks about says when, it, when Peter's talking to the church and he's saying that you're a chosen race, what he's saying is you're related by blood, the blood of the lamb. When he says you're a royal priesthood, he says you share the same calling. You're priests unto God. You minister unto God. You're, you're royalty, you're royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. That's, you're of the same tribe. Of your, you're of the same family. God's making something new. He's not just trying to make something a little better. He's completely renovating this thing, redeeming this thing, making something new. You're, a whole, you're of the same family, and then you're a people for his own possession. You're, you're a community that's wrapped around belonging. You hear this? You're wanted by God. You're a community, and every person who annoys you, they're as wanted as you are. They're as wanted as you are. You have, the, the goal is not to think that you're better than them. The goal is to humble yourself and love them. You, you, are, you are a people. You are a community. It is, it is like when we talk about spiritual gifts uh, in 1 Corinthians coming up here in a few weeks, it makes no sense for the eye to scream at the knee like, I don't need you. Yeah, you do. If you want us to move around, you want to see new things, you need me makes no sense for an ear to say to a hand, hey, I don't need you. Yeah, you do, right? 
We need one another. We are a people. We are a body. We're a community all belonging to God together, not mostly defined by our individualism, but God has taken all the beautiful ways that he's, he's creatively made each one of us as individuals, but having us find our real identity in who he has made us as a body. You see? I hope we do. Colossians chapter 3. Let me get here for just for a moment. And we'll just see what God wants to do. Even right now, as, as we're about to read, just say, Holy Spirit, what do you, what do you want to do? And if God tells you something, just like head for the altar or head for, kneel at your seat or just, let's not listen to his speech, guys. But here, Colossians chapter 3, 11, says here, meaning in the kingdom, in the body of Christ, here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, Barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all. And in all. In the body. Christ is all. You don't get your identity from your Jewishness. You didn't get your identity from where you come from on the planet. You get your identity from Christ who is now your everything. That is the body of Christ. We don't say first and foremost, Here, here's who I am as an individual. Then I add Jesus to that. Jesus is all or he's nothing. And then, then he gets to show you who you are in him, right? But look at this. Put on then, verse 12, as God's chosen ones, that, as God's wanted ones, holy and beloved. That's your new identity. You're holy not by your own effort, but not by your own works, but it's been gifted to you through faith. Beloved, this is who you are. So put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, Humility, meekness, and patience. This, this is the supernatural stuff that you don't conjure, you receive. This is, this is how doing the Christian life without the Holy Spirit is absolutely an impossibility. You, you, you get nasty, soul-wrecking religion at best if you try to do the Christian life apart from the Holy Spirit. Bear, look at verse 13, bearing with one another. You know anybody you've had to bear with before? It's, it's hard to love this person. Well, in the kingdom, you just don't get to say, well, whatever to them. Get the, the, the biblical call is bearing with one another. That's the dream that when Jesus was dreaming his ecclesia, he said, I want a people that find it hard to do life together, and then they receive the supernatural winds of the Spirit and learn how to bear with one another. If one has to complain against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. Listen to this one. Here's an imperative. So you also must forgive. It is not an option. You must forgive. Why? Because Jesus gave you about 20 billion <laughs> he forgave you 20 billion dollars worth of sin and, and he's holy. And here we walk around, we're, we're, we're not practically speaking holy and we're hanging 20 dollar bills over other people's heads. And it is not how the church is supposed to operate. Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love. Now watch this. Here comes proximity. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. You see the proximity in that? What love does is love doesn't give us license to watch from a distance. I don't really like these people. I'm just going to watch from home. That's not what love does. Love binds together in harmony. That's what love does. 
And I think the watching world is watching the hypocrisy of the church that says they love, but so much of it is from a distance. Like, that's not the kind of love I want. That's not what, not what my soul was fashioned for. Love binds together, everything together in harmony. So listen, not making everyone the same, but harmony is different notes that work together. And so the, the church is supposed to produce a sound that is, that is not all the same monotone note, but a sound that is just like this heavenly, whoa, just all these notes that we haven't even heard with our own ears on earth. They're just like heaven's notes. This is what the church is supposed to be, this supernatural, just, just melody and sound and harmonies bound together by love. Forgiveness is what we're famous for. And the church, do you know what you do in a Jesus church? You don't fight over who's right. You fight over who gets the honor of repenting first. That's what, man, that makes a sound, you see. That makes a sound. Woo! And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. If, he, if Paul has to say, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, that means the peace of Christ wants to rule in our hearts, and we have to let it. <laughs> what is keeping peace from our hearts? To which indeed you were called to one body. There it is. You were called to one body. You were not called to be your own unique individual as much as you were called to be an adopted son or daughter in a body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Listen, if you're having a down day, I just want just to encourage you to embrace a heart of thankfulness, just thanking Jesus. Like, Jesus, I, I, here, here will, this will brighten any day. I was, I was in darkness, not receiving mercy, dead in my sins, but Jesus came and made me alive together with him. Was all of my sins vanquished, far as the east is from the west. Where I, where I was, the Bible says, a child of wrath. Now I'm a child of mercy through the cross. Mercy, that's, that's all I have to look forward to is the mercy of Christ now. This is that will brighten your day, and there's a lot to be thankful for. Amen. So forgiveness is a is a mandate in the church. This is this is the supernatural juice that makes the church go. It's forgiveness. It's grace. It's an expectation for those who. Here's the expectation: If you freely received the mercy and forgiveness and grace of God, the expectation is that you you freely give it. Having been one who tasted of it. You, you must in turn freely give it in the same heartbeat as your dad. This, this, is, this is, and sometimes like for me, I've got people in my life that I have to forgive 10 times a day. Every single day I wake up and I'm like haunted by stuff that's happened. I've been haunted. You be a pastor for 25 years of your life, giving your heart away over and over again to hundreds and thousands of people. You, you, you accumu accumulate a list of people that have hurt you. Okay, so every single day, just God, like, and you know what has helped me is, is help me not just say, okay, I forgive, I forgive, I forgive, but it's helped me to forgive by literally not just praying for people because you start praying for your enemies, you start saying, I'm gonna pray for that. God, would you get them? Would you teach them a lesson? Would you show them what they did? Would you open their eyes, you start crying, you start getting Pentecostal and like banging, <laughs> open their eyes, revive them, Father, <laughs> you know? But you can stand in your own pride and pray those prayers. You know what really gets forgiveness flowing in a heart? God, I pray that you bless them. I pray that you bless their children. 
I pray that you bless their finances. I pray that you use me as a blessing to their finances. Give a Benji away to somebody that was ridiculously hurt you. Like, what if the church operated like that, right? So, and I think that many times what happens is, is it's not in the church, it's not just people that's hurt us, it's we realize that we have hurt people that now we're gonna have to see. So what pulls us away, instead of binding us together in love, instead of being able to go to a family that says, you know, I know that I've hurt this person, but love is gonna bind us in harmony together, all right? What happens is, is you pull away out of embarrassment. I just don't wanna see them. I, I, the, the way that I talked to them, the way that I acted around them, they saw me at my worst, not, my, with, not w- with my church face on. They, they saw me bad. <laughs> I'm just embarrassed to face them again. Well, well that's, that's called pulling away. That's, that's, love is bigger than that, than your embarrassment. I think sometimes like just having a good conversation or sending a good, like just putting your heart out in a letter, an email, just saying, man, did I treat you wrong? And I know that I'm gonna have to see you. And I wanna see you because I want us to be close. I want us to fight for, for unity, not operate in this, in this chasm, right? I'm not gonna let embarrassment, I'm not gonna let pain uh, keep us from c- ceasing being the church even when it hurts. You hear that? Do you know how many times that that we look at people from a distance and, and judge them, right? Well, they're probably doing that because of this. And we're motive police, and we tell, we tell Jesus, and we tell our own hearts exactly why people are doing what. It could be people on the stage. It could be people out there. It could be people at work. It could be people in our family. Like, we, we think that we know so much, right? And I remember about two or three years ago, I was on a, a, an elliptical machine at the YMCA, North Hanover YMCA. And it faces the back parking lot at the Y. I don't know if you've been there. Uh, but I was looking out the window and I was watching all these people play pickleball. I had no clue what pickleball was. Anybody know what pickleball is? It, yeah, I said, well, man, some people just came alive, right? All the, the blood of Jesus didn't do, but pickleball did. You know what I'm saying? Yes, but no, no, pickleball, yes, I, I'm with you. So I'm watching pickleball, but here's what I'm doing. I, I'm, judging, I'm judging these people to the death. I'm just like, I'm at the, the youngest person's 57 at best. This is a sport for old people. Who wants to hit a wiffle ball without getting on a real court? I'm, I'm thinking of these things while I'm, I'm faking it that I'm a nice person, all right? I would have never said that to the people that I was watching for weeks and months, but I was feeling that. I, I will never play pickleball until I went on vacation last month and we went to a place that had a pickleball court right next to us, and so we tried it out. I, I am now... I, I am now the biggest fan of pickleball, I promise you. I promise you, be watching the news. I I will probably be ranked this year, all right? I'm telling you, I'm gonna train. I was a nationally ranked table tennis player. I feel like all those skills are gonna translate over here and I'm gonna be the the gump of pickleball. I'm I'm, I'm telling you right now, it is one, here's what you have to do is you have to stop watching it from a distance, but you have to pick up a paddle and try this thing out, all right? So many times, guys. (laughs) We judge people and we hate people from a distance, let's be honest, that we've never even talked to. I've watched you, but I don't know you, but we, we make these agreements in our hearts that you know what it actually starts doing? It starts making the body, spiritually speaking, sick. It just divides us. We just watch each other instead of letting the love of Christ bind us together. Listen to this one more time. Just, just could, could you just close your eyes just for one second? I want to read this to you one more time. Bearing with one another. Bearing with one another. Bearing with one another. Forgiving each other. 
as the Lord has forgiven you, you must forgive. Holy Spirit, right now, descend on us in such a way that we actually remember our encounter with the cross and all of the sin we brought to the table, all the sins from the past, all the sins from the present, all of the sins that you saved us from. God, you, sa you saved us from, and you took care of all those. You forgave us our sins. Jesus, your, your last words on the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. God, I just pray that you would supernaturally cause us and allow us to forgive each other as you've forgiven us and put on love which binds everything together. Put on love which binds everything together. Father, I just pray that you would move in such a way that there would be a binding together in these days. God, your glory depends on this. That your church divided was not the dream. That is not a Jesus church. We want to be a Jesus church where we're actually bound together in love. And we just pray that you pour that out on us in these days. Thanks for checking out our Sermon of the Week. If you have questions or would like to get connected, download our app or visit us at providencecommunity.org.